Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Recently, I had the great pleasure and honor of hosting a panel at BroadwayCon called Actors and Activism with an unbelievable group of people. Lisa Crone, who won the Tony for writing the lyrics and book for Fun Home. Emily Skeggs, who was nominated for her performance in Fun Home. Ariane Moyed, who was nominated for a Tony for his performance in The Humans. Britton Smith, who starred in Shuffle Along. And Anthony Rapp, my beloved friend, my Charlie Brown to my Lucy, Mark Cohn and Wren, and many other incredible performances. We got together to talk about something we are all passionate about, and we're able to share it with the BroadwayCon audience, who offered so much as well to the discussion. And I'm so thrilled to share it with you. Here's my panel on Actors and Activism BroadwayCon 2018. Enjoy. Okay. So Anthony and I were talking about what would be fun to work on together here, and this panel seemed like a really great fit for the times we're living in and the remarkable army of revolutionaries who are attending BroadwayCon. We thought if we could take all of the energy and passion and spirit and humanity that is gathered in the halls of the Javits Center right now, you walk around and I'm sure you all feel this, it's just love, it's all love. And whatever happens when we leave this room, and leave this convention, which is an extraordinary thing. And I want to thank Anthony for being one of the founders. I feel like if we can take that good spirit, energy, passion, and go out in the world and spread love and listen, we're going to be in great shape for the future, regardless of what's happening in Washington. They don't know what's coming. So... I wanted to take a moment. Um, I had the great fortune of being at this panel last year, and the wonderful director, Tina Landau, said something that I actually wrote down at the time that I want to read to you guys, and then I'm going to open it up to this panel of incredible revolutionaries who are sitting up here right now to share their stories with us and kind of give us our marching orders, if you don't mind. But Tina Landau said, 
Have you seen SpongeBob? Yeah. Yes. I couldn't get a ticket, but that's awesome that you got to see. <laughs> Maybe when she hears that I read this, she'll be like, I think she should see SpongeBob. Um, this is what Tina Landau said, and it has stuck with me, and I hope it sticks with you, and then we'll just get into it. The personal is political. The political is personal. It's your heart. You will find your way to activism, however you do it, big or small. So I thought that would be a great way to start again. At the end, I would love to hear ways in which you have found activism has been a part of your life and that you can share with us that we can take out into the world and hopefully we'll all leave here with ideas that are concrete, that make sense to us about how to go back out there and, and fight the good fight. So I'm gonna turn it over to Anthony, who um, has been a remarkable leader for all of us this year. Anthony Rapp. Thank you, hi. Um, so in, in the early 90s, I had the incredible privilege of working with Larry Kramer, and uh, I don't know, you know, there's so many, such an age range in this room. Yes, but um, Larry Kramer, for those of you who don't know, was one of the founding members of GMHC, which was the first major political, uh, political slash social services organization in New York City to respond to the AIDS crisis. Uh, he wound up writing The Normal Heart, which some of you might be familiar with since this is BroadwayCon. Um, but he had written a, a sequel to that called The Destiny of Me, and, and I was a part of, a, I did a reading of it, and then I replaced John Cameron Mitchell in it, uh, in its run off-Broadway. So I, it was, I was in my early 20s, and it was a galvanizing experience to be around this man who had literally changed the face of what it meant to be a gay man living with AIDS uh, in New York City, and you know, the, the, it was uh, one person. You know, this this phrase wasn't it Gandhi who did say one one man can change the world or something like that. And you know, if you change one life, you change the world entire. I'm, I might be misquoting it slightly, but he was just such an example of that. I credit him for any any sense that I have of of using the opportunity to be in the public eye and as a platform to talk about issues. So how I first became an activist in that sense was literally just by coming out publicly. So this is like 1993 or 4-ish, somewhere in there. So the, you know, this was not something that was happening a lot, but just being around him and seeing the force of nature that he was inspired me to do that. And then being a part of Rent in and of itself was, uh, Rent itself was an active, it was an activist project by Jonathan Larson, who himself was a, a heterosexual cis white male who did not have HIV, who was so moved by what he was experiencing that he said, I have to do something about this, and since I'm an artist, what I have, what, how I can do something about this is to write a story about this. And clearly, yesterday was the anniversary of his, of his passing, and I, I posted something on uh, Instagram and Twitter, and the responses that have been flooding in, just people keep saying over and over and over again how much of a difference he's made in their lives. So it's another example of one person starting something that became a kind of revolution. So uh, these are all the seeds that have been planted for decades for me. And so in everything that's been happening in the last few months, just it's sort of, I don't know, it kind of feels like a natural progression for everything else that I've been doing. But I, I give full credit to, to Larry Kramer and Jonathan Larson in particular. And then also as a, um, as a sort of consumer of, of 
the arts myself. Um, I grew up in the age of Michael Stipe and REM. You know, there were people like him who were speaking out so openly and, pu and uh, publicly about environmental issues and political issues and Susan Sarandon. You know, the, I think these seeds were planted decades ago, and I think they're bearing such fruit. And in the age of social media, there's so much potential for uh, these things to really have a profound effect all over the place. So uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's my background in terms of that. That's a really open-ended. Uh, okay, well, um, I feel very new to activism. Like many, I mean, I feel like for many years I've been activist adjacent, but like many, many people, um, after last year's election, I, f I felt compelled to step forward and do more. And um, I, I made a little list here of things, things that I tell myself all the time about trying to be involved and do my part in this way. I think the watchword for me, um, as it is in so many ways, is humility, which is something that I don't have enough of. Um, so the number one uh, thing for me is to look for the people who actually know what's going on in any given, um, any given arena. I think that, you know, as a playwright, there's a certain amount of hubris that comes with uh, creating a world for the stage, but that's not the real world, number one. And it's not specific in the way that real life is specific. And also, if any of us knew what was really happening and how to fix it, we wouldn't be in this situation. So uh, I realized, you know, it's easy for me to start to, um, make pronouncements about what's happening, uh, why it's happening, what people should should do. But there was this thing that I saw happen right after the election, which was there in, on every front, there were organizations who had been working in the trenches all along. Yeah. And when the election happened, they were there with deep, long uh, strategies and information. They were there for us. So what I had to say to myself was, shut up, listen to them, do what they tell you. That's, uh, that's one thing. Uh, the next thing is to say to myself, make realistic, specific goals about what I want to do and what really suits me, what I'm really able to do. You know, when history gets told, we get the heroic narrative about the one tipping point person who made the, different, the difference. But actually, resistance movements are a long slog. Uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony never saw women get the vote. Frederick Douglass never saw slavery abolished. You know, these people worked, worked, worked. Um, we're part of that kind of a struggle. And I think we keep, if we're waiting for a great leader, that's, that's just not where the answer is going to come from, right? Uh, we ne there'll never be a greater leader than Barack Obama. But that's, right, but that's not going to fix our situation. This is about all of us doing a little bit to, to turn this thing around. So right after the election, Bash Doran, the playwright Bash Doran, called up a whole bunch of people. And um, she started this group we ended up calling the potluck because in the beginning we were like, are we going to be surveilled? Are we going to, you know what's going to happen? So we used the code word potluck. We meet at Bash's house. Uh, she's, she runs a tight ship, I'll tell you. We meet at 11. She and her wife, Katie uh, Doran, uh, have childcare. We meet for exactly one hour. We go around in the circle and everybody says what they're committing to do in the next month and what they did in the past month. That's it. We don't lecture each other. We don't uh, talk about uh, our ideas about what's happening, what should happen. We say what we're going to do and what we did do in the past month. So that kind of accountability and also making realistic uh, uh, goals for what we want to do. Phone calls are really important. I cannot make a phone call to save my life. I cannot do it. So I try to do other things. Um, <laughs> 
Listen more than you talk. Um, don't, uh, I, these are things that I say to myself, don't lecture and don't exhort. She exhorted the audience. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, for um, for uh, white people, do the anti-racism work. Um, there's a, a workshop that a lot of people have been doing that's been around for a long time. I have it on, uh, on my schedule to do it. I know many people who've done it. It's called Undoing Racism, and people found it find it profoundly transformative. Undoing Racism. Look it up. You can find uh, they're they're happening all over. Um, uh, certainly, every time I walk into a room now, a professional room, I look around and I see if there are there only white people in the room, and if there are, I have to ask ask myself, why is that? That's not a natural situation. Be scrupulous with the information you pass on and correct bad information. Don't be a, a passer on of fake news. I think that's really important. Even if it feels like the real news is counter to the narrative we want, we must, we must seek out the truth. Don't spill your precious time and energy, your mind and heart, picking apart the methods of other people who are walking in the same direction that we are. Don't do it. If you don't like the methods that somebody's using, then, then go find somebody who's doing it in the way you want to do it. Uh, let's not pick each other apart. Um, don't listen to uh, people who scoff at uh, the small actions. If people are scoffing at people meeting in the street or making phone calls or all of those things, nobody knows what is going to make the difference. So just ignore those people. Um, and sustain yourself. Sustain yourself by reading about resistance movements of the past. Read Baldwin. Read uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Uh, look up Reverend uh, Barber in North Carolina um, right now, the work that he's doing. That will uh, lift you out of this washing machine that we're in right now and connect you to the bigger uh, the really big picture, the really big arc of this kind of work. Um, take a break if you need a break. Stop looking at the news for a little while so that you can come back. And um, uh, laugh and sing and dance and cook. <laughs> I just want to say, because I meant to say it beforehand, aside from every one of those things, Lisa Crone gave us Fun Home. I don't know how many people here have seen it. I certainly know if you don't live in New York, you've been given the pleasure of hearing it. And I know whether you've listened to it, watched snippets on YouTube, or had the privilege of seeing it at the public or when it went to Broadway, we got to see ourselves on stage every night in that beautiful piece. And for many of us who feel outside of things or that our family is outside of things, being seen is the first step to being able to have your voice uh, out loud and to feel like you can have a voice. So I want to say, on behalf of all of us, thank you, Lisa, for that show. Thank you very much. I just want to say that Fun Home would not have happened without the work over decades of activists who, uh, uh, in the theater, but also not in the theater, who, who prepared the culture for that to happen. So. I want to introduce to you guys Britton Smith, who is a founding member of the Broadway Advocacy Coalition, also an amazing actor from Shuffle Along. Um, so if you would be generous enough to share your story with us and, and give us um, a little bit of Britton, we'd be really grateful. Yeah, for sure. Hey, thanks for being here. This is a really nice room. It's a really nice space. It's an amazing, honorable panel here. Um, I got into activism uh, through rage, through confusion, through just disgust, you know? Um, I was in a beautiful show called Shuffle Along on Broadway. <laughs> and um, 
I was that kind of person. I couldn't wait to work with Brian Stokes Mitchell. I couldn't wait to work with Aj McDonald. I emailed Brian Stokes Mitchell when I was in high school, and I said, hey, Brian, uh, I'm going to work with you one day, and I can't wait. And the first day of rehearsal, I went up to him and I said, hey, Brian, I emailed you, and you emailed me back, and you said, absolutely, man, uh, yeah, for sure, buddy, yeah. And so I was just in this space of, like, unreal dream. I was in a room of black excellent. I mean, um, I was learning choreography from Savion Glover. I was l being directed by George C. Wolf. I mean, it was a room of like my wildest black dreams, you know? <laughs> um, but then when you left the room, you watched the news and reality hits you and it tells you who you think you are in this room is not how you're valued in the streets if you are selling cigarettes. It's not how you're valued if you have your hands up in the air and the police officer is choking you because you seem threatening because you're tall and you're black or maybe the way history has happened in America, it's made people afraid of you, and they have no idea that you went to musical theater school and that you're a good guy. You know, they don't care. They see you in a certain way that in this rehearsal room you are not viewed, and that just really messed with my mind, you know? I was living two parts of myself. It got to a point where, um, the news was really heightened and we began to talk about it backstage and um, we were figuring out, you know, what can we do? You know, there's this Black Lives Matter movement happening. I don't really see myself as a protester in the streets. I don't really see myself as someone who um, yells the way he feels out loud. You know, I'm an artist. How do I participate in this? Like, what do I do? Um, what are the tools that I'm missing to participate? That was a big question for myself. What are the tools that I'm missing to participate? What is the access that I'm missing to participate? Can I participate in my rehearsal room 10 to 6? Ah, there's a schedule. Can I participate in my activism on stage? Ah, there's lines I have to say. What can I do outside of my working realm to participate artistically in the fight for change? So... <laughs> We produced this event called Broadway for Black Lives Matter. And it wasn't like a normal Broadway concert like where you sing for change. We decided that it was important to have people in all of the realms. So we had people in higher education meet with people in the arts, meet with people um, in government. And it was an evening of dialogue, performance. There were some like four or five panels. And we talked about, you know, what is the relationship between America and the police? What is the relationship between artists and activism? Um, what does a song bring to life um, in its lyrics and its melodies? Like, what does art do to shift change? And this event was amazing, and it brought a lot of people in our community out in the forefront to support the Black Lives Matter movement. And then after that, we decided, man, this is a real form. Like, we have a real model of taking narratives and putting them in front of people who maybe can't afford to see a Broadway show. But if we take these narratives from people who are affected by these issues and put them in those spaces, what happens then? What kind of change happens when you put a, a piece that you created with someone directly affected by the DACA initiative in front of a legislator who's making decisions on these issues? So... We started a nonprofit called the Broadway Advocacy Coalition, and it's just so, it makes me feel so full as an artist to participate um, in this way that's beyond my Broadway stage, you know. 
I get to go into classrooms and uh, schools and meet people who are affected by a lot of different types of issues and find ways to equip them through the arts to participate. BAC is partnering with this group called AQE. It's called the Alliance for Quality Education. Can you say that? Alliance for Quality Education. Thank you. So what we're doing is, and like Lisa said, there are tons of organizations that have already been doing so much of this work that people don't know about. So our goal is to amplify their work and show them, equip them and their leaders and their people participating into using the arts as a real way to shift change. So we're going to Albany again um, in March to, to talk to legislators about why there are so many schools in New York City that are under-resourced and underfunded. We've been promised over, I think, $50 billion, and the governor and like legislators are saying, you know, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get to it. And they're, they're protesting. I've been on a bus. I've seen parents who have taken off work to be heard. But there's a way that arts can be heard that I, I think protesting and putting up signs doesn't. You know, what happens if we take a story from this woman I've met on the bus and we have Emily Skeggs? do a monologue in front of a legislator. That invites a different type of dialogue. That invites a different type of atmosphere. It makes you listen like when you hear something like that. And then we have a conversation. So we're trying to play with the, the way in which change happens and how art can be a conduit for that. So please stay tuned. There's a lot of things to be involved in. And uh, I'm going to shut up now. No, never. But what's so great about that, Britton, is I feel like that exact model that you're describing can be done anywhere. Yeah. Right? Like, it doesn't have to be a Broadway actor going in front of a legislator. That's just people in their communities figuring out ways to tell a story that will resonate for people. I mean, if they can get Emily, great. <laughs> um, Anytime. I have Emily on every panel because if you've been to our earlier panels, all I want is for her to sing, I'm changing my major to Alana. It has not happened. I know by the end of the day it will, but in the meantime... We'll find the sweet spot. We'll, we'll find, find the sweet <laughs> moment. Um, I'm, my heart is racing right now. What's happening up here on this panel is absolutely incredible, and I feel uh, like I... I feel like I, I wish I had heard it years ago because it's so... It's, I'm so grateful that you guys are giving us steps forward, um, giving us sort of blueprints for how we move forward and how we take direct action. Um, I sort of found my way to activism happily and accidentally when I got Fun Home, and since then it's really changed the way I look at how I choose my work and um, the work I tried to do. And I, my first question is usually, do I enjoy this? Is this something that I like? And my second question is always, is this something that's gonna somehow create some sort of stir or help anyone or create some kind of change? So I'm sort of uh, quietly an activist in that form, but um, I'm also really fortunate I have, uh, I've gained this sort of platform to say something. And I think that, um, I think it's really important as artists that we do have a platform, we have the opportunity to say something, that we champion those who don't have the opportunity to say something. Um, I'm, and just, I'm just gonna keep this brief. If you're not someone who has the opportunity to champion others through your platform, there are so many other ways to support. If you're not someone who's at the forefront of the fight or you don't feel comfortable being at the forefront of the fight, there are quiet ways that you can be an activist every single day that are 
so significant. I mean, if you don't, if you're not that person at the forefront, be the person behind the person at the forefront supporting that person. Be the person who takes $100 or $50 or $5 out of your monthly budget and pledge to an organization or a society. Be someone who, if you see someone who's in need or see someone who's struggling or see someone who's standing up for another person, be the person who says, hey, I'm standing up with you or I've got your back. Just there are quiet ways to do it and there are loud ways to do it and all of it is significant and all of it is helpful. That's, that's me. All just so amazing. Yes, go ahead. No, I was going to introduce you, but you, you are in a beautiful linen suit and I feel like you don't need an introduction if you're wearing that. The suit does As it for always, you, Ariane. I overdress. But that's okay. It makes it feel good. Um, uh, that's true. Um, yeah, this is unbelievable. I just want to say that like, when I was 18 years old, my girlfriend at the time bought that Rent album, and we listened to that, and, and that changed my life. And so like, then all of a sudden I came, and then all of a sudden, you know, so that spread so wildly. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like really always been the case. You know, I'm, 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 I'm different in the way that I was born in Iran. We left like, a, you know, a revolution to like come to the States. And, and it, was, it was tricky. It was a trickier moment in time. Um, and so I grew up like a, 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 an, an immigrant, but like, but my parents were huge, hugely into politics because they had to be. And so my dad was like arrested in the 50s for being a communist. And my mom ran the Iranian, ran like a, with a group of Iranian feminists of Chicago. Or like, so I grew up in that kind of like world and I didn't actually know honestly anything else. It was just so bombardment every day. Um, so many atrocities were happening across the globe in Iran and all these things. So I think that it has always been a little bit in my blood to just kind of like work in that way. And then for, uh, for us, you know, I, 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 I went to school at Indiana University and I met this amazing uh, human being named Tom Ridgely, and he and I started a company called Waterwell, and then we started it because, you know, we just, 9-11 just happened. You know, we were scared. We were just so scared, and all of a sudden, bombing, like, Iraq at the time meant a lot of things to a lot of people that's from that re this region. Like, we were really scared. Um, and, and then that was an opportunity for us to create this company called Waterwell. We've been around for 15 years. We do uh, socially conscious, civic-minded work. Uh, some of the shows that we've done recently include um, doing uh, finding lost Frank Lesser musicals that were commissioned by the War Department. We found them, we put them back together. We did a world premiere Frank Lesser musical on The Intrepid with a cast of veterans and Will, Swan uh, Will Swenson and Laura Osnes. Like, that's the type of shit that we're doing, you know what I mean? And so all of that stuff, that's the kind of work Wardle's been doing for 15 years. So hearing about all the, you know, first of all, we should change cards because we could use a grant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but all these to say that, that, that activism and all that stuff is like a really a part of you know, um, really just kind of like doing and getting out there and, 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 and doing work that really kind of just like changes the game, you know, and changes people's ideas and perspectives of things. We also run a drama program, and in the drama program, I teach a class called The Artist is Citizen and teach them and bring people like you, which you all will come into, hopefully, uh, will come in and talk about like to the students, to ninth graders, you know, at PPAS, the Professional Performing Arts School, and telling them and just spreading, just talking, like things like this. That's the type of stuff that we're trying to do. So for us, it's really local. We start it very, very, very local. And I think like our takeaway is like doing and doing with like love and hope and just and and and, and community and it's and then the people come and more and more people come and then you get you know and then you build a lot of muscle and confidence and you know all that stuff. So that's me. 
I do want to talk a little bit about the, the, the Me Too. One of the things that's happening with the Me Too stuff that I think is so vital um, is that literally, I think, anyone who experienced these kinds of things before, the narrative before was that nothing we could say about it would ever make a difference. So part of what activism is also about is, is shining the light on the lie that that, that that idea is, that there can always be a difference made. But it, sometimes it seems really insurmountable. Uh, you know, I guarantee you that the, the, the many, 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 many women who, who dealt with Harvey Weinstein never thought that anyone would ever care. And yet somehow, it, and, and it's, it's sort of like a, you know, we talk about ripple effects. It, it does go back to, in some ways, Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas, and it goes back probably even farther than that. But finally, like, the dam starts to break. And then, of course, when now you look back and you see, of course, it would make a difference. But that's part of the thing about, like, always looking for what are, you know, something that does seem insurmountable can transform. Um, but yes, like what like Lisa was saying, it can also be a slog, and it takes a lot of, of small efforts and uh, over a long period of time that then finally something can, then, then it can topple. But if it topples in the way that this is toppling, it is profoundly transformative and will have ripple effects that we can't even imagine. So, you know, it's, uh, yes, and sometimes it's important to recognize the, the, what seems impossible to say, yes, it does seem impossible, to not like tell yourself a lie about it how daunting it might be, but at the same time, still doing something can chip, 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 chip away at it. It was the same thing like when I came out, I, you know, which was at a time when no one was doing that. I wasn't afraid of the, of the, of the risk. I don't know why. Maybe I'm stupid. I mean, I mean, that, I mean in the sense of maybe I just, I just don't tend to think pragmatically um, in that sense. The, the greater good just seemed too enormous in this case. But I did, I will say in this case of coming forward with the story that I went through a real process of making sure that I had all the knowledge and information that I could in terms of how I would be protected. And uh, it's important for people in this room, I think, to know some things that I learned that I think are really important for anyone who's going through anything like this or has gone through anything like this and you're considering coming forward or not or dealing, you know, having, confronting it, is that you are enormously protected in the sense that the law provides, if you say something about someone that is true, they could sue you for defamation, but defamation is if you're lying about them. So if something happens to you, and you have, especially if it, and, and anything coming fo going forward, if something happens, you tell your friends and family, your loved ones, because that storytelling, that witnessing, is part of what the evidence is that protects you and then uh, also, if the person is to sue you for defamation, they open themselves up for legal discovery, which then they could be examined in any other way. So the chances are pretty high that they won't do that because if they're misbehaving. So there's a lot of things uh, about it that you are really, really, really protected in ways that now having known that, it seems absurd that we would have ever believed anything other than that. You know, so, it's, so much of it is also about education information. That, that I was the beneficiary of because I had an, a wonderful team of people around me who were able to provide me with that support. And I think in the theater now, I I'm not sure of the details of this, but I, I believe there's a place to report things that happen uh, at work in the theater to the, through the Actors Fund. And I don't know uh, the details, but, and it's, it's, it's being refined and developed. But if, if you have an issue and you need to talk to somebody, uh, you can find a resource in the Actors Fund. The other thing Anthony just said, which hits home for me so much, is 
tell your family. And that means you have a family that you can tell. So the thing that I see at BroadwayCon, which is extraordinary, is how many generations from one family come to this event together. So in a way, it's like preaching to the choir. It's a pretty inclusive, amazing group. But take that outside of here. If you're an adult, talk to other adults. Talk about things your kids should feel free to say to you. Sometimes you're not hearing it in your own home, and so you think, oh, it's not happening in my house. Everything is happening. I have a 14-year-old daughter. I have had the most uncomfortable conversations. That's my job. My job is to be uncomfortable. And it just comes with the territory. And so I really encourage you. We have to talk about it. So that's my, um, yeah, that's my little parenting advice. That. We have to know that we're part of an incredibly um, unprecedented, un the width the breadth of this resistance movement is unprecedented. I, I have to keep reminding myself of that, that we just have to do our part. So you have to choose um, what you're gonna do. Um, I would really recommend, if you're interested in this kind of activism, um, moveon.org, um, they started, they did right after the election, they did once a week, and now they do them less often. There are these uh, phone calls uh, that everybody can join in on, hundreds of thousands of people on them, they're called Ready to Resist, they're all archived. I listened to one uh, the other day, or I actually uh, watched it. Um, they're exactly an hour, they're very, very well organized, and if you uh, listen to them or watch them, it's just a, the, the quality and the clarity of the activism is, uh, is it, it's always, it always sort of sets me right and, and makes me see what the, what the real work in, in that kind of activism is. Then you can uh, choose who you want to be with. It seems like you're not in, you were in Michigan, you're not anymore. Like, Indivisible in, in Michigan is um, super active. Um, Michigan is the most gerrymandered state in the country, and there, it looks like they've figured out a way maybe to turn that around. Probably there's local things that are happening, groups. There's Jewish activism. Ben the Ark and Jay Fredge are both doing incredible work. I don't know if you saw all the Jews who came in the rotunda of the Capitol and sang Nigunim together, and they got arrested one by one by one. They were hanging on to each other. It took an hour and a half until there were just two people hanging on to each other. Um, you know, find the people locally who, uh, whose work you admire, and, and you just have to choose and trust. And then find find, you know, the um, Bash Doran's group, the, the potluck, I, I think of it as Weight Watchers for Activism. Find people to make, find people to make you accountable, to, to keep you on the path and focus you, because it is so, every day I have to think, you know, calm down that hysteria. And then, um, like, in small, small ways, it, it, you can argue that it's, it's an activist um, action to put your plastic bottle into a recycling bin. Yeah. You know, that yeah. you, can, you can keep true every day and check in with yourself about are your actions commensurate with what you're committed to? And, and it could be a big, a big campaign or it could be the small things that can also have a ripple effect and then also demonstrate to your children these are the kinds of things we can do to make a difference also. But you know, like all of us, handing a sandwich to someone in need, that's really simple. Someone needs a coat, give them a coat. There are so many easy ways to change people's lives in the smallest ways that don't require any money from you, only require what do I have that I don't need that I can share with someone else. And there's not a person in this room who doesn't have something extra to give to someone in need. So thank you all for being here today.
you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast. And on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.